Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you and put it in context. Call me. 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. This morning, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell decided to pull out all the stops. Pulling down a $2.3 trillion gauntlet against the economic catastrophe caused by the pandemic. It was a remarkable move. Coming within seconds of the devastating news that 6.6 million more people filed for unemployment insurance last week. And that's why, because of his moves, that the averages were actually able to rally, including a lot of the down-and-out stocks. Dow ultimately gaining 286 points, S&P climbing 1.45%, NASDAQ advancing 0.77%. Without Powell's extraordinary, and it was, I mean, I was kind of blown away, so extraordinary announcement, those hideous jobless claims would have pancaked the stock market. We've gone from the strongest labor market in a half century to one of the weakest in no time flat. But it didn't matter to Wall Street because the Fed's buying all kinds of distressed debt here. Remember, that's that side you don't see that I keep saying is so important. Buying municipals. Ooh, some of those are hurting. He's buying high-yield corporate bonds. I mean, it's fabulous news because those were two big pressure points in this rapidly deteriorating economy. Well, what a difference from the old days. Between the Fed's latest moves and the $2.2 trillion rescue package from Congress and some more that's on the way, it's really clear to me that the policymakers are thinking big and they're willing to spend big to keep this economy afloat. And I say cheers. Unlike 2007, when the whole federal government was committed to absolutely doing nothing. And you know why? They know nothing. They know nothing. They know nothing. And that button was because they didn't care. They know nothing. They were too busy thinking about who they could punish, not this time around. Well, I'm just saying we are moving aggressively to put money in the hands of the unemployed, the underemployed, the small business person, the person who lost the dry cleaner, the person who lost the barbershop, the person who lost the restaurant. They are being helped here. And we have to do everything we can at the same time to stop the spread of the virus. In the run-up to the Great Recession, our leaders didn't take any action until the financial system had fallen apart. This time they've learned their lesson. They're actually ahead of the curve. Quite impressed. All this stuff is essential. But it's only keeping us on life support. It's not enough to breathe new life in the economy. At the end of the day, there are some things money can't buy, like health. Without a drug to treat COVID-19 or a vaccine that will let us eradicate it, we're not going to get back to normal. We can end the lockdown tomorrow. It won't make that much difference until we get the outbreak under control. I know we can't stay in quarantine forever. That will cause a depression which is why we need to use this precious time to set up testing facilities all over the country and make billions of masks. How the CDC flip-flopped. Masks were always good. I was wearing one coming back from the Super Bowl. I was was early in masking. As we keep saying, testing, 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 and I'm adding masking, masking, and masking. And this is what you do, okay? I'm on TV, so I can't do it right now. But this is right, and this is right, and this is right. This is what you have to do. We want to win. We got to wear these things. I got pimples all over my face. I don't even care. Not since I was 13 do I have as many pimples as I have now. So what? Not kidding. So what happens near term? 
What happens when we come in next Monday? I say we go for the game plan and find out. All right, of course, we got this thing, you know, until this disease, I thought this thing was like a sponge boy, you know. First, we went further evidence that we're slowing the spread. A week ago, the president told us to expect 100,000 to 200,000 deaths from the coronavirus by August. Today, well, Dr. Fauci, who's spearheading the government's response, said it might be as low as 60,000. Well, one is too many, okay? That means the lockdowns are working, though. So I'm hoping we get confirmation that we're truly flattening the curve when we see the weekend numbers for new infections and deaths. By the way, this plateau, see, plateau bad, okay? My daughter lives in Madrid. They plateaued, and then they plateaued, and then they plateaued, and they're still plateauing. But we don't want the plateau. We want the go away, okay? I also want to see some high-yield filings from companies that are short of capital because we now got every reason to believe that the Fed will back even the worst high-yield credit. Even companies that are under immense pressure from the virus, like at least cruise ships, uh, Nordic American Tanker. Oh, no, that's, a, that's an oil company. Uh, no, I mean, you know, the, the other guys, they, uh, Norwegian Cruise, they, they got to go get loans. They should go borrow from Jerome Powell. Uh, he's, he's giving out money like he's going out of stock. All right. Tuesday kicks off what might be the most bizarre earnings season of my life. It's an earnings season where I expect no one will be able to tell us about the future. No guidance whatsoever. When Wells Fargo and JP Morgan report, I bet we'll hear good things about the past quarter before the pandemic. Who cares? And then a vision of what the, maybe the new Fed programs mean for them. But there's just no way to forecast anything right now, especially not with Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, still convalescing after a heart procedure. And new guy, Charlie Scharf, and Ted, man, I pushed for this guy to be able to get the loans. It was me that got it done. See, that's what my wife says. She goes, you were an egomaniac. I didn't have anything to do with it. But it's good to see they're doing it. That said, I'm still... I'm giving you a lot more information than you usually get. That say, I'm hoping the big banks will swear by their dividends, which is why you want to own them. J.P. Morgan stock was up really big today. Thank you, Jay Powell. Jay Powell gave us like an Easter present. Now, we're going to hear from J&J, and i got to tell you, I'm a little worried, even as I own up my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining my club, the ActionLearnersPlus.com club. J&J is an amazing pipeline of new drugs, maybe the best. But also, and by the way, they may have what we need. They may have the vaccine. But they also have a big medical device division that could disappoint because COVID has upended the whole surgery market and a new J&J knee might be a postponable procedure. Will it matter? Not if everyone expects it, but I don't think they do. And I'm hoping Alex Gorski will say something, give us a little more insight on the vaccine, because if anybody's going to save us, it's either going to be Regeneron or it's going to, or it's going to be Alex Gorski at J&J. That's my bet. Pfizer maybe with the, with the antiviral, but it'll be J&J with the vaccine. On Wednesday, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup will report. I think Bank of America will talk about how far ahead it is giving, uh, on giving out payroll protection program loans because they got that great app. If you don't have their app, you check out their app. The app's real good. Now, I hope Goldman shows us something about their joint credit card with Apple. Please, please, please. And then Citi's ridiculously cheap, but it can't buy back stock anymore. So I wonder if management can justify the gigantic spread between the tangible book value and the actual stock price. At the moment, Citi's trading at a $23 tangible, tangible discount. The book, I haven't seen that since Glenfed and Cal. In the 80s. It's a shocking anomaly, especially now that the bank can afford uh, it can offload some of those questionable high yield bonds at the Fed if it has to. Now, we get results from United Health, UNH, okay? And this is the most important managed care company, or they call it, you know, a healthcare insurance company. It's a great company. Wall Street didn't care about it when there was some chance that Bernie Sanders was to become the Democratic nominee, going to war with private insurance. Now that's off the table, and I think it makes a big difference. Pandemic's going to be tough for managed care earnings. But I think UNH has a lot of levers, including Optum. I like the stock. Thursday, we hear from Abbott Labs. They keep telling you we need a lot more co- uh, 
coronavirus testing before we can reopen the economy. And that's why we need to rely on Abbott, because it's got that five-minute test. Hey, a buddy of mine had the five-minute test yesterday. He said, no pain, and then bingo. They're producing 50,000 of them a day. I want them to ramp up, and so does everybody else. See, we've got to get to at least 500,000. 500,000 uh, at least, so people can feel confident, go out and do things. Abbott's a fabulous company. I think this test is a game changer. I think make enough of them. Hey, after the close, intuitive surgical, ISRG talks. Uh, Long term, it's a favorite company. They love the robotics. That's Da Vinci. Right now, surgery's being postponed all over the country. Not so good for intuitive. Friday, listen to this. It's Schlumberger, okay? The oil service kingpin. Unfortunately, the oil market is a total disaster right now. Price of crude got hammered again today. I don't think the OPEC plus 10 million barrels taken off the market cut. It may one will mean a thing. COVID keeps people indoors. Is Schlumberger's dividend safe? I don't know. What's the plan here? Bottom line, I know we're in lockdown now and it's hard to judge the future. But at least when it comes to the economy, both the Fed and our elected leaders are on the same side. As you'll hear when we speak to Speaker Pelosi later on. Now we just need to nail down that public health side of the equation. Let's take calls. Let's go to Vince in California. Vince. Jimmy, chill. Let's crack a wagon. Man, I don't know. I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm masking myself after this. What's up? My question for you today is about Alibaba. They've been struggling a little bit, but I thought that they maybe have recovered in March. I know they have an eight to one share split later this year. Is it a buy? Yes, Hold it's a buy. It's the only time. Chinese stock I like. Ah. Remember, I told you to avoid that lucking. People say, "Oh, you kept me out of lucking. You kept me out of lucking." You bet I did, John in Michigan, John. Hey, John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Thanks John. for taking my call. Of course. Been watching you since the Cudlow Kramer days. My stock is CyberArk. I bought it when you first Cyber recommended Arc, it Cyberark, be good. Udi um, is dynamite. Uh, by the way, I think Proof Point's actually in my pecking order. I'm putting Proof Point up top now. Okay? And then uh, CrowdStrike and then CyberArk. I like those guys from CrowdStrike. They got game. Oh, man, I'm done? I was just getting started. The Fed's massive new liquidity injection sorely needed following last week's stock. But, but, but you see that jobless claim number? This kind of big thinking, though, is what's going to be needed to keep the economy afloat until we stop, eradicate the virus. I mean, everybody, tonight, is Box thinking outside the box when it comes to helping companies cope with self-quarantine? I'm talking with the CEO. And Congress has barely begun to spend the, spin the record on uh, $2 trillion in relief money that was signed into law a few weeks ago, and we already need more of it. I'm talking to the, the leader. Yes, that's right. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And the Fed rolled out a massive support package today. I'm giving you my take on the move, and believe me, it's pretty positive. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. It's finally here. Untold Stories, Top Moments from Worlds brings you closer than ever to the best players, top moments, and biggest events from all the past League of Legends World Championships. The rise of Faker, the origin of Silver Scrapes, the greatest match ever in Freak's Basement. We've got all these stories and so much more. Untold Stories, Top Moments from Worlds. Listen for free exclusively on Spotify.
But the market rebounding hard off its lows. I keep circling back to the work-from-home stocks. You know, I love this theme. Uh, they're winners, even if Wall Street's newfound optimism about the pandemic proves to be misplaced. Which brings me to Box, the cloud-based storage and mobile uh, collaboration platform with a new cybersecurity kicker. Box is exactly the kind of company that makes it easier to work remotely. But this isn't the cleanest story. Eh, the last couple of years, stock's been a serious underperformer. Lately, though, there have been some important positive developments. Even before COVID-19 took America by storm, Box reported a pretty strong quarter in late February. Excellent guidance. The activists at Starboard Value started pushing for changes last year. They reached a deal with management a few weeks ago, with the board getting three new independent directors. Best of all, Box has been rolling out new functionality in their cloud security offerings, Box Shield, like automated malware protection. In response, the stock's now rallied almost 80%. From its March lows. Can you keep working? Let's take a closer look with Aaron Levy. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Box. Find out more about how his company's doing and where it's headed. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jim. Good to, uh, good to be here. Thank you uh, for having me. Okay, so Box is a company that is uniquely ready, even though you could say that you fell into the space, but you were ready for the uh, work-from-home movement. Is it here to stay? Well, you know, when we started Box 15 years ago, we had a really simple idea, which is you should be able to work from anywhere with anyone and share your files securely on any device um, and through any application. So we've certainly been ready for companies to move to a work from home or remote work style. And, um, and obviously, we never could have anticipated the, the speed and velocity at which that happened. Um, but fortunately, our platform was uh, ready for customers to be able to adopt us in this way. We've been working with our nearly 100,000 customers to ensure that they can collaborate securely and access files from anywhere. The big question will be, you know, after shelter in place um, is maybe you know, removed at, at some point. Um, what about the work styles and IT strategies of this event are going to stay with organizations for the long run? Um, and our belief is, is that this is going to fundamentally change how people work um, going forward. And companies are going to now move to the cloud even faster. And they're going to be changing the way that they collaborate, the way that they share, the way that they uh, securely communicate and, um, and work with their information. So we do think that there's some long-lasting trends that will be with us now forever. Do you think there were people a little too glib initially? I mean, for instance, I love Zoom. I know I had another Zoom event just last night. But my problem is, is that it's fine. And there are now people discovering, well, the servers are in China. Well, you know, they, uh, a lot of people Zoom bombed, including some in religious cases where there was uh, an anti-Semitic bombing that I'm aware of. And next thing we know, hey, maybe this work from home, it's not that smooth. And we had Eric Yuan, he, he's very honest about it. But there are issues from work from home that people didn't anticipate. Well, there's uh, an explosion in, in use of technology today and digital technologies, both in our personal lives and in our business lives. And and with that type of growth and immediate change in, in our work style and our communication and personal lives, um, you're bound to see some, some you know, new permutations of risks and issues. In our case, um, we have a security technology called Box Shield, which helps companies uh, as they move to a work-from-home environment. How do you protect all of the data that people are now accessing in these work-from-home situations? So if you all of a sudden went from maybe only 10% of your uh, employees' internet traffic being on a home device to now 100%, how do you make sure that, that you're protecting against the possible threats of cyber attacks, of people accessing files or downloading too much data on their personal devices, so our job is to make sure that we're protecting our, our customers in those types of situations. But I think um, the idea of having simple technology that's easy to use, that works in the cloud, that's easy to deploy, 
these trends are now with us forever. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to certainly see, you know, some, some new behavior emerge. We're going to have, um, you know, companies that deal with different issues. I know, for, for instance, Zoom is going to make sure that they pivot to focus right. exclusively right. on security right now. And so I think Eric and, and his leadership and, and, uh, and that team is going to be very focused on solving this, this challenge. But when you look at the rise of apps like Slack or Zoom or Okta or WebEx or Microsoft Teams, uh, these trends are really here to stay now. And you're not going to be able to go back to the old style of working in a much more hierarchical, much slower fashion. Um, so whether or not we're working from home, um, mm-hmm. we do think that this much more dynamic way of working is going to be here to stay. Now, uh, obviously, Starboard, uh, they uh, took a look at you and felt that maybe this was a, a great theme. But it happened, uh, of course, before they got uh, they got involved before uh, COVID. But they obviously loved your company. I like the guys in Starboard very much. There's a guy who happens to be a good friend of mine who is part of the, their mob, so to speak. Um, and I know that they come in and they come in in a very genteel form. So you did not resist, right? You welcomed what they were saying. And I'm sure if you felt that they were didn't have anything to offer, you would have told them, look, no, thank you. But they've been a positive influence, right? Yeah. So um, when they came into the stock last year, uh, they had a perspective that, that we were trading at a discount, that we were undervalued and there were ways to drive greater profitability and greater growth. And from our perspective, uh, you know, we, we fully agreed with that. So uh, we went with a pretty collaborative stance. Um, we felt like there were ways in our business where we could drive greater leverage and greater efficiency. So this year we guided to nine to ten percent operating margin, mm-hmm. uh, which is a you know pretty significant step function change um, year over year. Uh, we also felt that there's opportunities to continue to drive um, greater productivity and greater growth in the business, and that's things like Box Shield and our suites, and making sure that we can help our customers. Um, be able to expand how they're using Box in a very efficient way. So um, we ultimately took a very collaborative stance with them. We came to an agreement um, earlier in uh, in March that we wanted to make sure that we brought on three new additional right. operators um, uh, onto the board that could really help us continue to grow the business going forward. Yeah, they're very good with security, too. Finally, I wanted to ask you, you were early on in this, but isn't it amazing how the leaders in business right now are tech guys? Yeah, when I was growing up, you know, it used to be it used to be uh, Heartland uh, because of manufacturing, or it was financial because Wall Street was business. But it's really guys like you that are leadership. You try to figure out how much money to raise. You try to immediately figure out the displacement and how to help. What happened in society that the tech guys have become the leaders, and we think of them as business is a great force of change, and it's tech that's leading. Well, um, you know, I, I think there's amazing examples of folks like Mark Benioff, Chuck Robbins, Tim Cook, Jack Dorsey, what he did with a billion dollars this this week. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, first of all, the, the, these individuals are leading platforms and organizations that obviously have a massive impact on the world, on the world right. economy, world's communications. Um, and so I think there's a sense of responsibility amongst these organizations that they have to step up, that they have to be able to, to, to make sure that we're, we're continuing to drive, uh, you know, change in these situations. Um, I, I look up to, uh, to, to that, that group of folks. Um, they've, they've led the charge in terms of how we can all collectively give back. We have an initiative called Box.org where we help nonprofits. We're going to give, um, you know, some substantial amounts of, of capital, at least, on a, you know, from, from our perspective, um, to make sure that we're helping with local nonprofits and, and, and local community efforts. But but again, you know, pales in comparison to the kind of impact that um, that you can see 
you know, Mark and, and others are having right now, which is really, really, you know, exciting and, and profound given it's, the environment. Mark. Exactly. It's exciting. It's different. And it's the way uh, it's way, the way the world is progressing. And I think it's terrific. Well, anyway, congratulations on the big comeback. I really like it. I like the, the gross. Mar- I like the margin focus. And you never lost. Oh, no. Come on. It's terrific. Because that's what I think the street wants right now. Particularly if the economy gets too tough. So thank you so much, Darren Levy, chairman and CEO of Box. Great to see you. Stay with Kramer. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. If you want to know why this stock market has been able to rebound so hard after its lows, well, it comes down to one word, Washington. Congress, the White House, the Federal Reserve, they're all taking this crisis as seriously as I've ever seen them take anything. And that's why we got a $2.2 trillion bipartisan rescue package a few weeks ago, including a massive expansion of unemployment insurance and aid package for small businesses that are effectively paying them to keep workers on the payroll. It's called the Payroll Protection Program, and there have been so many takers that it needs more funding. This morning, Republican senators tried to add $250 billion to the program. Bill was blocked by Democrats who want more money for, for states and for hospitals. You know what? I think there's a lot of room for compromise here because everybody does need more money. So let's go right to the source with Nancy Pelosi. She's the Democratic Speaker of the House because this is her ballgame. Speaker Pelosi, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be here. Uh, Madam Speaker, why wouldn't we want all the money to go uh, to the workers, but also to the hospitals, which are clearly running out of money, and to the states? Because in 2009, we starved the states, and it turned out that everybody's taxes were raised. It took much longer to, to come back. What's the resistance here? Oh, that's a question you'll have to ask the Republicans because we put in the money for state and local government and for hospitals, which are hemorrhaging money and and paying for the coronavirus cost. Uh, But let me make another distinction as to why we were objecting to uh, what was put on the floor today. First of all, like about 48 hours ago, two days ago, the Secretary of the Treasury called me. He said, I need a quarter of a trillion dollars in the next 48 hours. I said, well, we'd like to see some data. Let, let me get back to you on that. What we got back to them was that would bring the program to $600 billion. And we're saying we want 10% of that to go for community, financial, community development financial institutions, institutions that are there to meet the needs of those who do not have banking relationships, but nonetheless are viable small businesses, whether they're rural America, veterans, women, farmers, small businesses, uh, that say the banks might be not as enthusiastic about lending to, even though it's all guaranteed by the SBA and off the books by, by the Fed. So that's all we're saying. We actually took some of the money and said we need more money for the direct loan, uh, direct grants, $10,000 for a small business, and then uh, more money for the disaster loans, which are all of the businesses right. are participating in. So this, this was all for the same purpose it's just to make sure that everyone was included. And actually, 
the banks are our friends in all of this. We want to make sure that uh, they can participate to the fullest at, at the right. same time, take off their uh, hands the need for us to reach into the, uh, shall we say, the underbanked community, nonetheless well, small It's true, but I do think there's more common ground here than I've seen in a long time because the enemy is COVID-19. And there have been 4,000 community banks that have applied for money. I thought that was a really good thing that there's that many community banks that are in there fighting for their own clients. That's right. And we want community banks to have some, uh, shall we say, expedited procedures uh, so that they can participate in a strong way uh, to the communities, many of which of these Beyond the banks, there are other institutions like the micro lending program of this uh, Small Business Administration and the rest. There are other initiatives that can be very helpful as well. So, again, we all have a common purpose. Uh, we just don't want it to have to trickle down. We want some of it to be directly uh, for these small businesses. Rural America, Indian country, places like that, which don't even have a loan with the bank, don't have a relationship. Right. And we have, we've said to the bank, we want you to know your borrow, want your borrow to know your bank. But if you don't, we still want you to be able to participate in this initiative. So that's what that's about. And I do think uh, that it was a, a small ask and plenty of room uh, for a negotiation. I think here. so. I think so, too. Now, Madam Speaker, you are a person of great common sense, not just of great leadership. You understand the common person. And you're worried about them. And I know this. When can we reopen America for business without putting them in jeopardy for their health? Well, the, the testing, testing, testing. Three word answer. Uh, what we really have to do is take inventory of actually what the challenge is. We're flying blind without that. and We're long overdue. We passed three bipartisan bills in March. The first one, March 4th. And that was about testing, testing, testing. Right more than a month ago, we still have to do that in order for us to have an idea of the extent uh, of, of this terrible uh, disease, but also so that we have a data, a racial collection of racial data so that we know uh, how this is affecting different communities. So when we know what the challenge is, we can more clearly understand when we've overcome it. And of course we want that the sooner the better, we want a cure, that would be the best answer, a vaccine, Right. A little farther off, but hopefully soon. But the uh, uh, shelter in place is making a very big difference. But we really don't have an evaluation until we know the extent of the problem. Testing, testing, testing. So let's say we got the community-based leaders, uh, lenders, and I know California's using really needs community-based lending, disaster <laughs> assistance. Do you think there's a possibility that we should roll out the opening? Governor Newsom did an unbelievable job with the lockdown. Just incredible. It seems like California's so far ahead of where New York is. Should Maybe we can do it in stages. Maybe it doesn't have to be one grand day that the country opens. Well, would you like to somebody who's in one of the states that does not have shelter in place right now, crossing the border into where you live? No, I mean, this it is wouldn't. Something. No, you're I'll tell you sense. what, let's just make it be, let's, let's do something original for some okay. in our Washington. Let's have it be science-based. Let's have it be science-based, based on testing, so we know what the challenge is, uh, that we have an idea of, we don't know, even though they say they do, but scientists tell me we do not know that if you have contracted uh, this, this uh, uh, virus and you recover from it, whether you are immune to it in the future, we just don't have those facts. So as somebody who's had it 
immune? Is that a person we can use as a resource for prevention of others? Or is that a person who's contagious? Uh, again, infectious. So again, uh, I'm, all of us, no, everybody wants out. That's for sure. We all want to be able to go to work. We want everyone to go to work. And we want those who are working to be less at risk of their lives as they try to save other lives. We want them to have the equipment that they need. And we want those who are in need to have the ventilators and the rest. So as soon as we attack it scientifically with the equipment that we need, with the measure of what the challenge is, uh, the sooner we do that and not just talk about it, but do that, uh, the better off we will be. That's on the health side. And the health side will have a direct relationship to how we open up the economic side. And the economic side, assault, is a big one. And one that we should use as an opportunity to say, uh, we will use this opportunity of the coronavirus challenge to our economy to be one that does not solidify or ossify uh, the disparity in access to capital, capital, but one that uh, alleviates that. And that would be a, a, that would be real progress for our country. We have to, though, measure of who is infected by this, and that will be te uh, by testing. So again, data, 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 evidence, science, you, that is the answer to when we can go back. You are a natural optimist. If we can get this additional money, uh, which I think is certainly warranted, uh, and we get some breaks in science, do you think, is it possible to say, I know you don't want to put a date on it, but we can't stay closed. Is it possible that May, could, could enough people in May, Enough younger people, enough people have already had it, enough people who tested, 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 that we can get the country moving. I'm getting worried about not a recession, but a depression. Well, that we could have a depression uh, because so many people are out of work. And that's why we have to get the system really energized and working. Let's get out those unemployment checks. Let's get out those direct payments. Let's let these get these loans freed up. Let the banks uh, be the friends to this whole system that they are. This is an era of entrepreneurship like none we've ever seen before because of the challenge to small businesses. Let's let's recognize what that is, that optimism is, is to America. But I don't think anybody can tell you a date unless right. we just take a week at a time. But let's be hopeful that it will be soon. But I, I love the spirit of compromise. I know Secretary Mnuchin thinks the world of you. Look, I, mean, I am just an intermediary, but I'm saying that he does, and you're doing a fantastic well, job. Said this, and I think we should get more credit uh, for working together because we were, in the last four months, I was thinking that last four months we were able to come together on a bipartisan budget to keep government open in the end of July. The same, excuse me, the end of December. At the same time, we came to terms with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada free right. trade agreement. Uh, after, since then, we've had three bills uh, that are bipartisan to address the coronavirus uh, uh, crisis. Uh, but we do have our differences. Right, but and there's mutual that, respect. Well, there's definitely, but there's mutual respect, which is what we want, right? He differs with you, of course, but it's mutual respect. This is mutual respect, but we were very happy with the corona, the bill, the CARES Act, because what we did was turn upside down a proposal by some for a corporate trickle-down bill to a workers' first bubble-up bill, and that enabled us to be able to embrace it fully and want to work very closely with the administration to implement it as soon as possible. Well, let's leave it at that, and I want to wish you a very happy Easter, Madam Speaker. 
Easter, this week is a very important and holy one for us to pray for the recovery of those who are sick, for the families who have lost their loved ones, uh, for our great country, that it recovers personally as well as And I know we can all agree with that. That's House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We all hope that this country gets strong and better, that it, the health of this country gets better. Everybody's back here for the break. Reserve can't do anything to stop the pandemic, but they're moving heaven and earth to limit the economic fallout. I've been calling for our leaders to think big, but even I was stunned by the Fed's incredible $2.3 trillion facility that will be used to buy high-yield bonds, municipal notes, a bunch of other things in layman's term. They're effectively backstopping everything on the credit side of the economic ledger. I know we usually look at the stock side, credit side much bigger. If your city's being bankrupted by COVID-19, it won't need to go through a painful restructuring that crushes the taxpayers. Instead, they'll be able to keep borrowing at reasonable rates. If the Fed's willing to buy second-rate munis, that's terrific news for an area of the economy that I was very worried about. Whenever we have a recession, local governments are forced to cut spending and raise taxes at the worst possible time because there's no money. Hey, let's take that off the table. How about the second major pain point, high-yield credit? We have tons of troubled companies that need to borrow money to get through this tough period, and there was simply no way they'd all get to be able to have a loan. Thanks to the Fed, an airline can now raise capital without it needing to sell a stake to the government, something that looked inevitable if they didn't get forbearance. But with the Fed buying junk bonds, they're taking that risk off the table. Hey, but by the way, that's why those airline stocks all soared so much, even though they don't have any traffic. Tougher one, retailers. I don't know how they'll decide which chains live and which chains die, but yesterday Nordstrom sold some five-year paper with an 8.75% coupon. Holy cow. For the Fed's action today, I might have been concerned that that was too risky. Now, I don't know. We have tons of companies that were in great shape just two months ago, but this pandemic threatened to crush them. I think there's nothing to be gained by letting them go under. It was especially not all at once. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't like they were bad operators. This thing was crazy. In the end, the Fed didn't want to be blamed for causing a depression. Jay Powell understands the mistakes the Fed made during the financial crisis in 2007 when the Fed was buying just treasuries. Back then, I asked Chief Ben Bernanke if he'd buy mortgage-backed bonds, too. He looked at me like I had two heads. Eventually, he bought a ton of them. His whole system was collapsing. He had taken action sooner. Could have prevented that. Powell's learned a lesson. He's not making the same mistakes Bernanke did. Meanwhile, the Treasury Department's not going to be outdone. Secretary Mnuchin doesn't want to go down in history as the guy who presided over depression either. He's out there making sure that the real base of the economy, small and medium-sized businesses, can get grants and loans that will be forgiven as long as they don't lay off their employees. This payroll protection program is kind of fire because the role has been a little messy. Hey, well, uh, there have been some delays. I mean, it's far from perfect. I say, who cares? This is a huge, incredibly ambitious program. Millions of small businesses have filed for loans. Of course, the SBA has a gigantic backlog, but they'll eventually get it, right? If you need one of these loans, go to one of your smaller community banks. They don't have as much to process clients to get money. The bigger banks, they got longer lines. Cash will come. A few years ago, Mario Draghi, the president of the European Central Bank, famously said he'd do whatever it takes to stabilize the Eurozone. Now the Fed and the Treasury are taking a page from Draghi and adding another page from Malcolm X. They're propping up the economy by any means necessary. I love it. Just remember, though, only a bridge. We can't go back to business as usual until there's a cure or a vaccine and we eradicate COVID. Or at least do enough testing to ease up on the lockdown. Stick with Kramer. It is time. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Kids, I'm going to start with Jessica in New Jersey. Jessica. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Jessica. I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you. To hear your thoughts about Stryker Corporation, symbol SYK. You know what? Unless it gets a takeover from this level, I'd like to let go of it because uh, they do have products that I think you'll be able to, to uh, not procedures that might be optional right now, and we don't have a lot of room in the hospitals for that to happen. Let's go to Sarah, New Jersey. Sarah. Hi, Booyah, Jim. What do you think about plug power? No, too speculative. It had its move again. Now it's back in the old days where it just kind of channels right here and doesn't do a thing. Steve in New Jersey. Steve. Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller. Go Excellent. Birds. Exxon, what do you think? Okay, if you want to own a big dog oil, you own Chevron. You want little ones, you own Fang, which is Diamondback, or you own EOG or Pioneer or Parsley. That's it. That's the buy list. Miranda in Minnesota. Miranda. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Hi, Ben. So my son got some money, and he's wondering if he wants to put it in the player stock. Should we do it now? Should we wait a little bit longer? What in would what? be the best? In what stock? Oh, player, you got four percent yield. Scott Wine does a good job. Uh, Navy veteran, thank you for serving. Uh, it's come down all the way, and yet I think that's a, a pretty interesting opportunity for long term. How about Steve in Florida, please, Steve? Yeah, right. good afternoon, Jim. How you doing? I am good. How about you, Steve? Okay. Uh, calling about ticker symbol C-A-L-A. It's a very interesting spec against tumor metabolism. I really like it. I think it's one of those companies you can wake up and it just could be like a home run. Good spec. Let's go to Glenn in Indiana. Glenn! Jimmy Chill. Yo! Hey, thanks for all you do for us home gamers. You're welcome. My stock is Capital One Finance. Yeah, well, Capital One's a good stock. You know, it always comes back because your credit cards always comes back. But they are giving stocks away. If you want to go a little spec like that, why don't you go with Wells Fargo? I know it's up six from when Charlie Sharp bought it, but it does have a six percent yield, and you're buying it for a very low eight times earnings. Wells Fargo. Let's go to Nicholas in New Jersey. Nicholas. Hi, Jim. My name's uh, Nicholas Catone, and I have a big booyah from a little bit down the Garden State Parkway here in Tom's River, New Jersey. All right. Uh, I hope you and all your loved ones, as well as the rest of the country, is in good health. I'm Thank a big you. Fan. I've known, I've, uh, I've known you, uh, you know, since I was about eight years old, but didn't really begin getting as indulged into the market until about January of this year. And uh, if you would have told me at eight that I'd be speaking with you at 23, I would have uh, said there's a better uh, chance of well, the pandemic plays home record in the global economy. Yet here we are. Um, but I have some experience, but I'm, by no means I'm a seasoned vet. But anyway, my question lies with the mortgage trust that soared this week, specifically ticker GPMT, who soared from $3 at market open Monday to as high as $6.75. Yeah, well, it got today. oversold. The Buchanan Nicholas, it got oversold. And, you know, and a bunch of them had to do some equity offerings. So a lot of people sold that one to put the money in the others. If you see that, if you look at Anley, on Chimera, on Chimera. Uh, I don't really care for that group. I think you should go for growth. You're a young guy. You watch the show. Let's get some growth in there. I would actually see rather see in Tesla. Let's go to Mitch in Michigan. Mitch. Hey, Kramer. Booyah. Booyah. Hey, uh, I've been watching oil industry and uh, keeping my eye on Apache. I know their yield was. No, Apache was. Apache? No, Apache just had the biggest move off the bottom of any of the stocks in the S&P. So I, I mean, well, it was the lowest. It was the worst performer. 
I don't like the uh, oils. I gave, you know, my list of oils. I like a Chevron. I like a Fang, Diamondback. I like Parsley very much. I like, wow, Pioneer very much. I like EOG. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Monday, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I know where we're going for lunch, and I know exactly how much we're going to give. This is some change. Chipotle up even on a price target downgrade. My say, I say it goes to $1,000. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. With so many of the cloud stocks roaring lately, is it time to start focusing on some of the weaker operators that are still down dramatically from their highs? I'm talking about Domo. Now, this is a cloud-based business intelligence software outfit that's a, a lot like a smaller version of, say, Splunk or Alderix. You know, we like those guys. Even before the coronavirus meltdown, Domo stock has spent the better part of the year being put through the meat grinder. These guys are smart guys. But the outbreak came along. The stock plunged from 27 down to 7. Changed in, seven, seven changed in a matter of weeks. It didn't help that the company gave us a not-so-hot earnings update about a month ago. Lately, though, Domo's begun to bounce off its lows, climbing to 11 and change today. The company recently held a very upbeat analyst day, and they're bending over backwards to fight the pandemic. They've created what I think may be the best public COVID-19 tracker. And they're using real-time data from World Health Organization, Johns Hopkins, making tools for local governments like a response dashboard for the home state of Utah. Worst case, Domo's doing a good thing here. Best case, company can use this crisis to demonstrate the power of its technology. Will it work? Let's check in with Josh James. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Domo. Find out more about these initiatives and his outlook going forward. Mr. James, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Sir, I've got to tell you, I I was looking at the Johns Hopkins board like a lot of other people until I knew that I, I had Domo one. Yours is a vastly superior, much more real-time site about COVID. Is this a good example of the power that Domo can bring to the situation? Yeah, it is. We, you know, we jumped on that and we actually have a, a version two coming out, I think today or tomorrow. So we're upgrading it in a meaningful way. But yeah, we, uh, I think that's a good example. Uh, the, you know, the ability to do, to leverage any kind of data, any kind of business intelligence that you have at cloud scale in record time. And, you know, we did it for the state of Utah just recently. Right. We, com- we created a, a crisis command center for them, pulled data from all sorts of different sources over the course of 72 hours. And now the governor's looking at real-time data. How many entry points are there into the state? How many different beds do we have that are ICU that have vents? How many tests are we doing? How much PPE do we have? No, I mean, why is it just for Utah? Why doesn't every state want this? Well, actually, it's been interesting. So we created, uh, got together with um, what we have, we call Silicon Slopes out here. And there's a bunch of different men and great men and women that are a part of that. And some of them got together and Mark Newman, Dave Elkington in particular from Nomi Health said, hey, we can go create our own testing sites because the state wasn't getting enough throughput. And uh, at first people were like, no, you guys are tech guys, you're tech people, we don't. And we're like, well, we're just going to keep pushing. And we kept pushing. And now we're doing more tests per day than the state was. And it's a great combination of, you know, Governor Herbert, public-private partnership. And uh, we're pushing, pushing a lot of tests through there. 
You know, I, I find that I end up using Domo and I don't know it. Um, I am probably one of the more active users of ESPN, ESPN Plus. They had the numbers for Disney Plus yesterday, uh, 50 million. It's incredible. But I've been I, I have been with ESPN since the beginning. And when right. you complain about ESPN, of which I have at times, it, it, somehow you monitor it and tell people where the problem is. Yeah, they're a good customer of ours for sure. And they've been a customer for a long time. And I think, you know, in this day and age, I mean, Gosh, you know, I've been through this before, unfortunately, and we've got we have been through the meat grinder, but we have one hundred and sixty million dollars in recurring revenue. And, uh, you know, we were we told at our analyst day, it wasn't upbeat analyst day. We told him, like, we took five million dollars expenses out. We're ready to take another 30 million dollars out. And we said, you know what, we'll do it if we see anything negative. We haven't seen anything negative. But in fact, if you talk to our reps and our sales managers, our pipeline's bigger than it's been. We're pacing more than we did last year, this time of year. So we're excited about it. But at the same time, trying to be prudent, trying to get out of the meat grinder. We just uh, today are announcing we're taking $30 million more costs out of the system. Okay. Uh, we're unfortunately let go of about 90 people. So that's the worst thing that happens when you're a CEO. But, um, you know, trying to be prudent, make sure that no matter what we've told people, we're never going to run out of cash. Right. We don't have to raise any more money to, to, to get to profitability. Jim, I thought within nine months, we were going to be profitable and that dark cloud that was hanging over our stock was going to be gone, but we're just doing what's prudent. And, uh, you know, I think you look at today and yeah, we have to adjust, but right. you go to grocery stores, you go to health, you go to healthcare companies. We got a regional, you're going to love this story, Jim. We got a regional grocery store and they compete against 200 other grocery stores for the distri- distribution. The Harmons, the Harmons, the Harmons. Yeah. Within two hours of this happening, they had real time data and they reorder and replenish their, their, their shelves before any of their 200 global national competitors because they had real-time data on Domo. I don't know why. Every, I mean, I always, like, we love it for NBC Universal. We use it. I'm always just kind yeah. of surprised. I mean, to me, you're, you have a great product. And I, sometimes I wonder, how come a great product doesn't necessarily turn out into blowout sales? But I guess it just takes some time. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, we're ahead, we're ahead, we're probably ahead of the market uh, for a while there. But now we're starting to see it. I mean, there's some big healthcare companies that called us and said, and I can't say their name, but we have testing machines for COVID. And we put tubes in there and we test it. And we get all of the data off those machines and put it into Domo. And we're able to see which tests are having errors before the labs see it. And we're also able to see which places have hotspots so we can ship our tests to the place that have hotspots. We know the needs before anyone else knows the needs. And, you know, we've always, we're always good. But when real time becomes really important, like right, right now, then we're, we're even better. Now, can people access that, uh, the hotspots? Like I can access this incredible site that you guys do that has WHO and Johns Hopkins? Or is that a problem? Yeah, you go to domo.com slash coronavirus, and there's all kinds of data there. Um, there's, you know, there's, uh, all kinds of, you can see how the data is changing over time. Uh, you know, we've got the testing site, but the crisis command center or that governor, right. he can see everything that's happening in real time with his state from dozens and dozens of different sources. You know, it's a, it's a game changer. It really is. I hope more people use, uh, find out and use it. They will not go back to the Hopkins site as much as I love Hopkins. I mean, your site's so far ahead of it. Like I thought, what am I doing looking at a Hopkins site? Anyway, Josh, it's always great to see you. And I'm yeah. just tough. You made the. Oh, sure. What's up? I- Did you see this thing sitting next to me? This, uh, this. I was going to give this to you when I came out there to get to see you, but didn't get to come out. But it's a magic eight ball, giant magic eight made ball. Made money. Jim Craig- 
Get money in, Well, you, you come in and you see us, and then it tells us the answer. Booyah! Booyah. All right, I'll take it. Hey, you just made me happy in a very tough period. It's Josh horrible. James, <laughs> Josh James, Chairman and CEO of Domo, D-O-M-O. Check that site out. If you're as addicted to trying to find out what's wrong, go to this site. It is the best for information on the coronavirus there is. Mad Bunny's back after the break. Look, the Fed shocked me. I did not expect this, okay? So the market got another leg up. I feel like that the market is a little too high, but I've got to tell you, if they keep pulling off the stops like this, at least you can understand why it's gotten higher. And this Fed move probably makes it so we will not revisit the lows, given the fact that J-PAL is just there, standing in there for you. Like I said, there's always bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here. Oh, man, buddy. I'm Jim Kramer. I'll see you Monday. Our special Markets and Tomorrow, hosted by my friend Scott Wapner, begins right now. 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.